<laughs> Welcome to Watch Out, where we dig through our DVD dungeon, where we scour the endless streaming landscape, all to help you find some kick-ass horror movies. Hello and welcome to the Watch Out Horror Movie Review Podcast. We're glad to have you with us. Our goal is to provide you with spoiler-free reviews and recommendations for both recent films and horror classics. I am Jason the Terrible, broadcasting from Ottawa, Ontario, and I am joined, as always, from Vancouver, BC, by Grave Robert Jeff. Hey, man. Hey, man, yourself. And Slice and Dice and Dave. Good day to you, fine gentlemen. Wasn't that, like, all regal of me and things? It was very sophisticated. Thank you very much. And today, we are going to be doing a Friday the 13th mini-franchise review of sorts. I was trying to think of when the first time we saw these ones. Do you remember when we saw the first Friday the 13th movie? I think we snuck peeks when uh, Dad used to watch the occasional one, right? Yeah. But I think, I think the thing that uh, I remembered most was just seeing the boxes at the old... Uh, video rental stores they all terrified me we talked about this a little bit in all the way back in episode one our top five most influential horror movies from our childhood and i think i told the story then about sneaking peeks around the couch while our dad was watching friday the 13th part six or did he even let us watch the first five minutes like that whole resurrection scene at one point and then he said no 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 no, you gotta go to bed actually you know what i think he did So I think that was the first time I had seen anything Friday the 13th related. So one thing that kind of rebooted the interest for me was when we all started playing Friday the 13th, the game, a few years ago. Do you remember that? Oh, hell yes. I do, yeah. So yeah, playing that got me back into it a bit because it had been a while since I saw movies. I couldn't remember which ones I saw when. So I just, what do you call it when you watch a bunch all at once? Binge. Oh, yeah, so I just binged all 12 movies, like, wham, wham, wham. What? You did? And it was kind of neat to see what they took for the game and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, that's something I enjoyed yeah. watching this time. Because I don't think I've watched many since I last played the video game. We had watched part three, right? And I'd, I've seen part three twice in the last year. And one of those times was in 3D with you, Slice and Dice and Dave. But watching the one I did for my mini review and then watching the one we did for our feature review it just it continually blows me away how almost picture perfect the game recreation was and that's pretty cool isn't it i mean they did such a good job i mean i had such a great time playing that game i was on that game almost every night for a couple of hours for over a year so yes i will be when we talk about these movies i'll be probably pointing out a few things that really stuck with me from playing the game and and seeing it on the screen now in cinematic form. That game was super fun. It's too bad that they kind of left it out to dry there. But Grave Rubber Jeff, you never liked playing as Jason in that game. Yeah, because I couldn't. It was hard. Like the counselors would always escape and I'd be like, ah. It was a lot of pressure. Yeah. But yeah, well, that's sweet, man. I was like, why don't they make a goddamn Nightmare on Elm Street video game or something, too? Well, and as our listeners might point out, Freddy Krueger is in the Dead by Daylight game, but as someone who's on Team Friday the 13th, we never did play Dead by Daylight, so... So the the, the thing about Friday the 13th to me, 
<laughs> we should have a little moment to just uh, reflect on Friday the 13th, is that if you say, hey, what do you think of horror movies? I think the Friday the 13th franchise would be the starting point of horror for me. Isn't that bizarre? Like, if you think of horror, what do you think about? What, what comes to your mind? Well, there's certainly the pop culture acceptance of the hockey mask is something that has transcended the film series in all sorts of ways. Yeah, when did they stop using those hockey masks in the old NHL? Like what, like 88, 90? Oh, it was before that. A lot of people wouldn't even know that they wore those as hockey masks back in the day. Hey, well, Friday the 13th, Jeff. Friday the 13th. I was actually surprised how consistent they were in the 80s releasing movies. Friday the 13th, one was 1980. They went on to release movies in 81, 82, 84, 86, 88, and 89. That's a lot of movies in a decade. Especially since halfway through that they said, no, this is the last one. It was probably six months after the release of the last one that they started pre-production on the next one. But we'll get to that in our future review. Yay. Well, hey, you know what? It was pretty goddamn enjoyable watching some Friday the 13th, eh? Especially because, uh, you know, it's around the Halloween time. I know this is released after Halloween, but it's kind of close. Yeah, I had a great time. You know, I remember because me and the wife, how many times have I watched this series? Quite a few times. Well... I shouldn't say that. I always get like to episode or number six and then I stop. <laughs> it's bizarre. I never like get all the way through it. I don't know why. And the same thing happened to me and the wife in 2018. We got up to number six and then we stopped. So it was nice to watch one from after that, i.e. number seven. Do you know, do you know what's bizarre? Now that the more that I think about it over the years, I think the more that I appreciate it. You know how like Jason eventually kind of becomes a little, like, supernatural throughout the series, uh -huh. if you know what I'm referring to. Uh -huh. I think that's kind of a good thing, because that's kind of one of the things that annoys me about Michael Mo Myers. Oh, Moy Moyers? Michael Myers. Is that, I mean, he'd be dead. But he'd be goddamn dead. He's just a goddamn human. Yeah, a goddamn evil human being, but he's a goddamn human he being. And physically, he'd be dead after everything was said and done. Now, Jason goddamn Voorhees here, they skirt around that by just making him supernatural. <laughs> so I'm like, well, there you go. Well, they made him supernatural in part six there, Slicen, so they waited six movies before they used that. I know, well, but they finally, they're finally like, you know what, we can't just keep goddamn bringing him back to life like that goddamn Michael Myers jerk. And I mean, yeah, it's stupid. This conversation has its place when we talk about those movies, so let's let's... But, but we're not going to be talking about number five. <laughs> I guess it has we'll nothing to do with number five. We're going to be talking about number six, which has everything to do I'm with still, that. I was, I was so mad that you didn't pick number five. Uh, Jason, take it away with your mini review of Friday the 13th, part two. two, two. How do you know that's the one I picked? Because you said you were going to pick either two or five, and if you didn't pick five... I kind of uh, connected the dots. As maybe you I, maybe I went off the board. Did you do eight? Then you don't Jason go first. X? Then Jeff goes first. <laughs> oh yeah, Jason X. Eh? I rewatched that and I remember loving it. And then oh. I rewatched it and I said, "That's not as good as I remembered." <laughs> this franchise resonates with me because obviously because my name is Jason, 
as a kid yeah. that was always very cool it's like hey there's a famous jason yeah okay he kills people with large gardening implements but it was still cool and i think that was the thing like our cousins and family members and kids at school they were all watching these movies and and to be cool we had to get over our fear of this gory horror stuff and that's why it was an accomplishment to watch these movies it's a rite of passage it's they're not what i would call gateway films because Something like Ghostbusters or Gremlins are scary enough for a little kid, but can get you interested in some of the scary movies. Like, Friday the 13th, when you're young, is pretty scary. Now, watching them again, you don't quite get that same impact. It's so crazy, eh? Like, goddammit, I look at my uh, daughter, for instance, she's nine years old. And when I was nine years old, I was watching all these goddamn movies. There's no way in goddamn hell I'd let her watch these right now. I guess it's because I had you guys as older brothers, right? So Well, and look how you turned them. out. So Fuck it, goddamn perfect. Like like so I guess I should just let kids nine years old watch these type of movies, eh? Has she been asking to? No, and that's why that's why I'm like I was all like, Hey, uh, are you interested in watching a scary movie there? And she's all like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I guess, you know, all right then. I guess before we get into our mini-reviews and into this Friday the 13th mini-franchise review, I wanted to bring up some a comment that one of our listeners had to our rock and roll episode. This was the episode where we released X and the Hard Rock Horror. As part of the outtakes, because this made the outtakes not the main, main show, we, we were discussing what song is the best horror movie song of all time when you think about horror movie songs. Ben in Texas was very disappointed and I was very disappointed also once he pointed this out that not one of us mentioned We're going on a, a ball break. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Um, I think he got us there. <laughs> I think he's got a very good point. How did we forget about that? Time. Maybe because it's terrible. <laughs> but awesome at the same time. Maybe because so we ran that about? joke into the ground for three episodes after yeah. that one. <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's like we've run it out of our minds. But uh, oh, we're out of our yeah, minds, no, all right, too. Let's get this show on the road. Let's get into Jason the Terrible's DVD Dungeon, Friday the 13th, Part 2. That was right! Jason the Terrible's DVD Dungeon. Yes, Friday the 13th, Part 2, otherwise known as the first appearance in a starring role. By Jason Voorhees. Hey, way to ruin everything. Yeah, so let's let's say this right up front. It's <laughs> going to be really hard to avoid spoilers. We're going to do our best, but what you're probably going to realize is that when we talk about the state that Jason is in at the beginning of each movie, it's probably going to tell you how the last movie ended. But we'll do our best. I mean, we are a spoiler-free podcast. We pride ourselves on that. But we also realize that most people that are listening to this have probably seen these movies before in this particular case. But anyway, let's see how we do, shall we? So part one was released on May 9th, 1980. Part two was released on May 1st, 1981. So less than a year after the release of the first movie, the sequel came out. And that, that they say, is a horror film record for having a sequel come out so fast. 
This one was directed by Steve Miner, who was an associate producer and unit production manager on part one, because Sean, Can Sean Cunningham was busy with other things and didn't, didn't feel like directing another Friday the 13th, even though he created it. Someone else who didn't feel like working on it was Tom Savini, who was the very influential makeup guy from part one, who didn't want to be part of part two because, A, he was working on the burning at the time, which I've talked about in a previous mini-review, but also that he, he wasn't very sold on the fact that they were going to be featuring Jason Voorhees as, as the main killing guy in part two because his appearance in part one was really meant as a throwaway scare gag and not, you know, real life. So he was like, what? That's what that movie's going to be about? Hard pass or something like that. I, ha I find it hard to believe he said hard pass, but I mean, you never know. All right. So Steve Miner was tasked with finding some other makeup guys, and he went to Stan Winston, who, who actually did a head cast of Betsy Palmer, but he didn't have time to work on the movie either. You know, they said, thank you very much for the head cast. And then they went and found Carl Fullerton and John Caglione Jr., and both of these guys ended up with a couple of uh, Academy Award nominations. And actually, John Caglione Jr. got an Academy Award for Dick Tracy about 10 years later. Ron Kurz was brought in as the screenwriter. And they had to decide kind of what kind of movie to make. Because at the end of number one, at the end of number one, Jason's not a main character. Nothing's really fleshed out. And you've got a survivor from the first movie to deal with. Do you make them the the main person in the in the next movie and ultimately Adrian King's agent was asking for too much money so that didn't that didn't work but Adrian King does show up at the beginning of part two for a rather extended intro sequence at 11 minutes and 44 seconds it's one of the longest intro sequences ever it, it seems to me we talked about another movie that had a really long intro sequence oh wait a minute it was the Friday the 13th remake had like a 25-minute intro sequence, if you remember that. Oh, that's right. I do remember that, yeah, yeah. 11, almost 12 minutes out of an 87-minute movie was before the, the main title card. And it features a scene where, where Jason is stalking this character kind of in, like, suburbia in someone's apartment. Probably the only time that's happened in this franchise. Stretching the believability a little bit that Jason could find this person out at her house... Well, here's, here's a little potential trivia question for you guys. How many actors played Jason in Friday the 13th Part 2? Uh, three. Grave Robber? Two? At my count, there's four. And it could be more. They do sometimes use people's hands uncredited. But we're going to get into the, the bizarre story of Warrington Gillette and Steve Dash, the two main guys to play Jason, but... In that first opening sequence, when we first see Jason's boots appear and walk across the street, it's actually Ellen Letter. She has the distinction of being the only woman to play Jason Voorhees in the franchise, as far as I know. Anyway, the Jason that also shows up later in the intro sequence was played by Jerry Wallace. So right there in the first 11 minutes and 44 seconds, we have two different actors playing Jason. Anyway, okay. so after this intro sequence, part two takes place five years after the events of part one. Actually, it takes place five years after the events of the intro sequence. And everything has been quiet at Crystal Lake. Nobody's been camping out at Camp Crystal Lake, 
However, Paul Holt, played by John Fury, decides, hey, time has passed, enough time has passed, let's start training some more counselors around Crystal Lake. So he sets up a counselor training center at the Pakanak Lodge, and the counselors start filtering in. Among them are Paul's girlfriend, Ginny Field, played by Amy Steele. Amy Steele would go on to play a part in April Fool's Day, which Grave Rubber Jeff talked about not so long ago. Yeah, so there's actually a whole bunch of counselors that show up. And as they start getting settled in, Paul Holt tells them the story of Jason around the campfire. It works well to get the whole audience of the movie up to speed on what's been going on as well, because they use flashback sequences from part one. But they set the scene quite well. So some of the counselors here, we've got Ted, played by Stu Charno. He's kind of the, the goofy comic relief guy. He would actually go on to play a role in Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, an episode of The X-Files that is very excellent. And Tom McBride plays Mark, who's in a wheelchair. That's a unique character for a movie like this. And Kirsten Baker plays Terry, who... Uh, so I'm getting a lot, of my, a lot of my information from this book called Making Friday the 13th, The Legend of Camp Blood. There's actually two major books that have a lot of information in them. This one by David Grove said he interviewed a hundred people from the franchise to make his book. And it's a nice book. Then there's the Crystal Lake Memories book, where they interviewed 300 people from the franchise. So I've, I've read both. I've watched the special features on the DVDs and Blu-rays. I've watched His Name Was Jason. I've watched the Crystal Lake Memories seven, eight-hour documentary. I didn't watch all of those just now to do these movies, but there's a lot of information out there. But I just found it interesting that David Grove actually described Kirsten Baker's Terry as the best-looking counselor in the history of Friday the 13th. I'm like, wow, you know, there's some editorial content in this book that I wasn't expecting. Kirsten Baker does do quite a striking performance in this movie. You might say a streaking performance in this movie. Beyond that, one of the things she did that was even more impressive was she was the one that was searching through drawers in her in her room for a pocket knife. Hey, that's from the video game. Yeah, and it's the same red pocket knife. So I'm like, that's where it's from. It's right there. <laughs> cool. So yes, the red pocket knife. Not to mention the Pakanak Lodge and all the buildings around it. It's like, oh my God, I'm back in the video game watching this movie again. It was amazing. Yeah, again, major kudos to the game. Anyway, there's a bit of a problem, though, because there's so many counselors that there were too many to kill off in a Friday the 13th movie. So half of the counselors end up getting shipped off to a bar to party the night away and, and unknowingly, you know, survive. And that leaves a few of them behind. And the people that get left behind, unfortunately, start to get picked off one by one. But one of the major criticisms of part two is that there was not a lot of gore. There's still a lot of violence and a lot of people dying, but there it was very light on the gore. And when you think about all the talent they had on the makeup side of things, this is kind of a surprising criticism. But you have to think about how fast they needed to come out with this movie. Mm -hmm. The MPAA was cracking down on horror movies after the original Friday the 13th came out. And so rather than get into a lengthy back and forth with them over gore effects that had to be cut down iteration by iteration, they just cut it down themselves as much as they could. It wasn't even the MPAA that said specifically, cut out this, cut out that. They just did it to avoid those problems in the first place and ended up coming in quite late on the gore effects. 
Would it have been better with a lot more gore? I don't know. They described a lot of takes where they had a lot of stuff to clean up afterwards and they didn't use any of it. From a filmmaking horror fan perspective, it's really too bad. This movie is known for its scene that rips off Bay of Blood or Twitch of the Death Nerve. This is the uh, double impaling after the sex scene. So that's in this one. I guess we have to say too that if you're not a very familiar with Friday the 13th, the franchise, you might be surprised that Jason isn't wearing his hockey mask in number two. He's wearing a bag over his head with a one... A sack of potatoes. A sack of potatoes. Well, yeah. With, a, with one eye hole carved out, which is surprising that he wouldn't have had the time to carve out two. But anyway, this is what he did. <laughs> we talked about the town that dreaded sundown and how that character had a bag on his head and it looked very much like Friday the 13th Part 2. Are there connections there? I don't know. It wasn't mentioned in this book. The other main thing is that there was controversy over who played Jason in this one. I already talked about there being four people, at least, that did. But Warrington Gillette was originally hired to play Jason. He went out for one of the counselors at the auditions, but they gave him the Jason part instead. And, and they're like, you know how to do stunts, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what happens? But he shows up on set and like, Two days in, he's like, no, I can't do that stunt. And they're like, what? So he basically got fired, but they had already done a head cast of him and they'd shot some of the scenes with him and stuff like that. But they're like, yeah, well, if you're not going to do stunts, you can't be in our movie. So they hired instead to replace him, Steve Daskowitz, who is more familiarly known as Steve Dash. Steve Dash came in to be Jason for 99% of the movie. He's the guy running around, he's doing all the stunts. However, he did not get credit on the movie for playing Jason. Warrington Gillette did, because Warrington Gillette had to come back and finish the one scene where you see Jason's face. And when you see Jason's face, it's Warrington Gillette's face. And Steve Dash is often campaigning to make it known that he's the guy that did most of the work because he, frankly, he almost died making this movie because there was one stunt they were doing where he had to lunge after someone who was running and land in a slightly hollowed out hole in the ground to make it easier, but someone had left a pickaxe in there at one point, so that was one trip to the hospital because he landed on a pickaxe. And then when in one scene where he's fighting with Amy Steele's character, she almost cut his finger off with a machete, and that was another scene, that another trip to the hospital. Though what was interesting was that there was a registered nurse on site who was brought in to be a non-union stand-in and, and played the part of Pamela Voorhees' head. So she played that part uncredited, but she was also there when Steve Dash almost lost a finger, so she did some on-site suturing, and lucky she was there, I suppose. All right, I was reading way too much about this movie. There's just so much to talk about, but I just like talking about Friday the 13th, so I'm sorry. It's fun! It's it is fun. fun. Uh, one anecdote about Warrington Gillette and his stunt prowess was that when he came back to do the last scene, he had to crash through a window, and uh -huh. he was on a sling that basically swung him so that he would fly through the window a little bit. They didn't do a good job of scoring the glass because when he swung and hit the glass, it didn't break. <laughs> and so <laughs> he just kind of whacked his head against it the first time, and he's like, oh, man, this is why I don't do stunts. Yeah, it sound. I mean, yeah. oh, man. it was a low budget. It was like a $1.5 million budget. They had all the actors sleeping in uninsulated, unheated cabins on site. There was no budget for hotel rooms or anything like that. Get it done as fast as possible to get it out as fast as possible. They had a matter of weeks to do the editing at the end of it. But 
it did get released, like I said, on May 1st, 1981, and it finished with $21.2 million worldwide on a budget of 1.5. So, you know, anytime you can multiply your money like that, the studio's going to be happy. So, good job, Friday the 13th Part 2. As for my rating on this, I do think it's one of the... I mean, I think all of the earlier ones are are generally stronger, in my opinion, before he turns into a zombie. They become a little more fantastical and a little more full of comedy by the time they get to the last half of the franchise. So I can see why, for the purists, you know, 1, 2, 3, and 4 are kind of the most well-regarded. I did really like number 2. I thought Jason looked a little too human, though. Like, even though he was still human, he was flailing around a lot. Not not nearly the confident, uh, indestructible, unstoppable killing machine that he would become. Still looking very vulnerable. But this was his first appearance. I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10 overall for my mini-review that's not so mini of Friday the 13th Part 2. Well, thank you, Jason the Terrible. Do you guys have any remembrances of Friday the 13th Part 2? When, when you say, hey, Friday the 13th Part 2, obviously my head goes to the potato sack over a guy's head. Oh, hey, you, you brought up the dude in the wheelchair. Yep. So I always remember what may or may not happen to the dude in the wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, that was it. a plan. I think they should play that like at the beginning of every other movie, the whole entire series. Uh, but I look at it like this. I didn't watch the Friday the 13th sequentially. I watched them all over the goddamn place. I think, yeah. I think I said Jason takes Manhattan first. And then I went all over the place from there. So the, the series in itself is just enjoyable no matter where you are in it. And that's kind of why it's nice that they do all those goddamn hey, this is what happened the past movies for the first 10 minutes of every god. <laughs> you don't have to watch them. I mean, you should, but you don't have to. That's how I did it. It's a good point that one of the strong points, even if he does end up in New York and space, is that <laughs> the continuity is preserved for the most part. There is definitely stretching of believability and stretching of continuity oh. that we might talk about in the part four case. But it does a better job of keeping to its own story than some franchises that just decide to forget that certain movies even exist. Oh, just to wrap up your uh, number two there, were there any characters from the video game in number two? Off the top of my head, I, I, don't, I don't remember any of the characters from number two being in the movie, but there are so many of the lands, like the map for Pakanak is is so well done. And actually, it's also the appearance of the yellow two-seater car. I'm like, yeah, there it is. Like we say, thank you very much, Jason the Terrible. If memory serves me, then I think, Grave Robber Jeff, you're the one that decided to do the next mini-review. Grave Robber Jeff's Fresh Dig. I did. And it's a movie that goes straight into crazy town. 1986. Friday the 13th, part 6, Jason Lives. Crazy town, Wah, you say. Ah, 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 yeah, if ah. I, it's funny, like, thinking back when you say, hey, what do you think your least favorite Friday the 13th was? I would always say Jason Lives. So let's see, what do you, what do you got to say about it there, Jeff? Really? It's your least favorite? Back in the day, I, yes, I would have said that. Interesting. 
I've heard Zoom people back. say that their number six is their favorite. Everyone's different, Jay. So this is where it's a bit dangerous to go into spoiler town, but there's no way around it. Jason Voorhees is dead. <laughs> what? I'm not going to say <laughs> no. how he died. I'm not going to explain any of that, but he's dead. Continuing on, the movie opens up on one Tommy Jarvis, who is very important to the last couple movies. But all of a sudden, he's like 20 to 30 years old. And he's still haunted by his experiences with Mr. Voorhees. Oh, and I should mention that um, players of the game will recommend, recommend, recognize this version of Tommy Jarvis as Tommy Jarvis from the video game. <laughs> uh, played by Tom Matthews. And all the sound bites come from, from him. And I have to say, I, I love this character in this movie, this particular Tommy Jarvis. He is hilarious. And now whether or not there should be hilarity in Friday the 13th, that's where there could be some debate. But right away this movie, he's on the way to the cemetery because he's not convinced that Jason Voorhees <laughs> is in fact dead. So what does he do? He digs up his grave to burn his corpse once and for all. But um, unfortunately, things don't go as planned. He somehow resurrects Jason instead. <laughs> it was the most ridiculous scenes you ever will see in a movie. Well, hold, hold on. Have you seen part seven? To this okay, point, we'll get to, to that. this point, oh, up to this point in the series. Anyways, it's one of the most, depending on, on what you think of, of adding humor, it was a super entertaining opening. <laughs> Capped off by a 007 style intro to the movie, like, you know, when James yeah. Bond is walking through the, the viewfinder of a gun or whatever, yeah. and he turns and shoots him and... You know what I'm talking about. So yeah, they do a Jason version of that. It's goddamn hilarious. And so that's a great way to start. So after that, we find out that Tommy Jarvis is back at Camp Crystal Lake, or the town where Camp Crystal Lake is. But they've changed their name. They've changed it to Camp Forest Green because the townsfolk don't want anything to do with all the memories of the horrors from the past. And I thought to myself, well, why did you call it Camp Forest Green? Why didn't you call it Camp Green Forest? I, I can't figure that out. I don't know if it was translated from French or what, because you know how in French you say... Le Forest Avert. <laughs> yeah, you always do the descriptor second, right? Anyways, that bugged me a bit, because I'm like, why don't you just call it Green Forest? Anyways... And so the sheriff of town, Forest Green or whatever, finds Tommy Jarvis acting all sorts of crazy and decides to lock him up because he's just too crazy. And Sheriff Garris is his name, played by David Kagan, who I recognized, but I can't find anything else he was in. So maybe he just looked familiar. I don't know. So Tommy Jarvis is very... 
very motivated to explain that Jason is back and he's going to start ransacking poor Forest Green. Sheriff doesn't believe him, locks him up. That's kind of what happens. The sheriff has a uh, daughter named Paula who develops a bit of a crush on old uh, Tommy Jarvis there. And the two of them end up working together for, for most of the movie. And it's it's just such a different feel from the previous five. Like, And you'll know when you see it. Just the, adding the little bits of humor here and there. The soundtrack is totally different. Alice Cooper, if you guys remember Alice Cooper, wrote and performed a lot of the songs from the soundtrack. There you go. So it's quite different going from a movie where it's like, what are those violins or whatever the you know like cellos or whatever the orchestral the score of harry manfredini yeah. there's still some of that in here but it's just so different when things are backed by rock music it's just completely different it's so insane and the other thing that's super different is jason's kind of in your face all the time whereas in the older ones he's kind of like what when you're trying to be sneaky what does that mean stealthy like, Stealthy, that's it. Yeah, wasn't there something about stealth in the game? Stalker mode. Was it a, or whatever that was it a skill or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, star. And so there's a lot of random people who unfortunately get uh, murdered. Oh. And actually the producer, part of the problem was at the end when they finished shooting, he's like, well, there's not enough deaths, so go add some more. So they had to go add some more deaths. And not only that, so this is kind of funny how it was a different period than number two, I guess, is that they were worried it was going to get a PG-13 rating. So they added a bunch of gore to get it back up to an R rating. So it's just so bizarre how things go from year to year. Oh, just to finish off the storyline. So the counselors do end up working at Camp Crystal Lake again under the, the new name. And you actually see a couple busloads of kids arrive. So it's not just the counselors. There's now a camp going on with counselors and kids. So that's kind of different. But like I said, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of random kills. There's like uh, a corporate team going on a paintball trip. And unfortunately, they get, you know, the the death. And, and some oh. other ones that they just added, added in. And so there is so much random crap. It was kind of distract, distracting a bit from from the main story. That being said, it was still super entertaining, these extra bits, because you get to see Jason do his thing, and the characters were kind of super annoying, so he didn't really care if they, they died. But <laughs> Yeah, and then, so there's a couple other counselors in there that I don't know. Apparently there was a big-time soap star who played one of them, Renee Jones, who was on Days of Our Lives for like 30 years or something. Is that possible? Anyways, I didn't know who she was. I didn't recognize any of the other counselors. Uh, on the Jason end, it's kind of a similar thing as what Jason the Terrible was talking about, where they started with one Jason named Dan Bradley, who is a crew member, for just the first day of shooting. But then they thought, well, this guy's not the right look for Jason. And so they recast him, and he was eventually played by C.J. Graham. Was that his name? C.J. Graham? Oh, yeah, C.J. Graham. So it's funny because his, his eyes kind of change color because one guy has one color eye and the other guy has a different color eye. And they look a bit different, but they're in the same movie. They left the original scenes in there. And so I think just the, the fact that it was so different 
I don't know what I would have thought of it as, like, say, the first installment of, of the franchise or the first movie that I saw of the franchise compared to seeing, all like, the first four, I think, are pretty hailed as, as awesome movies, and I, I really enjoyed the first four. But this one's so different that I actually liked it quite a bit. I don't know if I'm swayed by the Tommy Jarvis character in playing the game. He's such an entertaining uh, character. So overall, I don't see how you can't be entertained, but I can understand why some purists or whatever you want to call guys who really like the first one, it might be too different and too out there, because as we've sort of said, he's he's kind of a zombie now. You could definitely think that he was a, just a regular human somehow from the first movies, but that is not the case anymore. So entertainment value, i got to give it high marks. It's super short, only 86 minutes shortest of the series. But I still liked it, and I'd watch it again just because it's so entertaining. But I'm trying to think of ratings relative to others like you were saying, and I don't know. I don't think I don't like any of them, so it's hard to do that. So I'll just come up with a 8 out of 10 for Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. Did you talk about the director? Oh, it's directed and written by Tom McLaughlin, who uh, didn't look like he did very much else. He did Sometimes They Come Back by Stephen King. All right. Well, thanks again, Grave Robber Jeff. That means Slice and Dice and Dave, you're up. Which movie did you pick from the screen? What's side? up? Slice and Dice and Dave, Scream and Stream Sack of North. I reached, I was, uh, so... So here's where it came. I, it came down to an option of two. I wanted to do either number seven or number eight. I really wanted to watch Jason Takes Manhattan again. But I looked back when I started watching the, the series again. I ended at number six. So to be fair, I had to watch seven. It was the right thing to do. It was in my timeline. It was the one I needed to watch next. So I did pick from 1988, Friday the 13th. Part 7, The New Blood. <laughs> Rated R. Uh, yes, guys. So, Part 7, like I said earlier, is probably one that I had seen the least of all the Friday the 13th. I think I've seen 1 through 4 probably like 18 times each, you know what I'm saying? So this one, uh, I was like, oh, I'm kind of excited because I can't really remember anything about it. Get this. The idea of this movie is kind of Jason Voorhees meets... You know that chick, Carrie, from the Stephen King universe? The telekinetic gal that can move things with her mind and things? Yes. You do, thank you. Okay, good. This will go a lot smoother then. Basically, it's Jason Voorhees meets some telekinetic chick just like Carrie. A gal named Tina, played by Lar Park Lincoln. And uh, Hey, do you know what's cool about this particular film? It's uh, the first time... Kane Hodder played Jason. You guys know Kane Hodder? Yeah, and I was always surprised that he joined so late because you keep talking about the video stores and the boxes in the video stores and stuff. I remember seeing Kane Hodder's name on a Friday the 13th video box and thinking, man, Kane Hodder is such a cool name for the actor that plays Jason. Yep. And I had no idea until later that he, he only started in the 7th. He is the guy that played him the most often, but he played him in a couple of the least well-regarded of the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, isn't that something? Hey, let me read a uh, small synopsis from Letterboxd. 
Jason is back. But this time, someone's waiting. A young girl who possesses the powers of telekinesis accidentally causes her father's death after a family dispute at Crystal Lake. Years later, when a doctor tries to exploit her abilities, her power becomes a hellish curse, and she unwillingly unchains the merciless, bloodthirsty Jason Voorhees from his watery grave. That must have happened at the end of uh, Friday the 13th, Part 6. I'm not going to confirm or deny that statement. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, maybe there's a big chunk of storyline missing in between the end of 6 and 7. Anywho... So basically, he's uh, sitting there at the bottom of <laughs> the lake of Camp Crystal Lake. So we start the movie uh, going back over what happened the past several films of Friday the 13th, which is nice. We, we start uh, a little bit back in the day where there's this young Tina gal, and she witnesses her mom uh, getting her dad like yelling at her mom, like having this you know dispute, and she's like, oh, this is horrible. I'm running out of here. I'm going on to the old lake. Then her dad runs after her. Hey! Get back here, you know. She's like, I hate you, Dad. Ah! Then she does her telekinesis stuff. And unfortunately, her poor father is just brutally murdered by the young Tina. Well, it doesn't quite happen, brutally murdered. But he, he, he dies. He dies. Skip ahead uh, numerous years, and we got ourselves a teenaged uh, Tina. And she obviously never forgives herself for what happened to her, her poor father. So she's back out at that Crystal Lake. Didn't look like Crystal Lake, by the way. They must have filmed it somewhere else. I was like, that's Crystal Lake. And then at some point, she started thinking about her dad, right? And it was in the same area, so she was like hoping that maybe she'd get her dad back. But no, it's Jason. And so Jason wants to go and kill some people. So so then he starts uh, killing a bunch of people and stuff, right? God, there's a lot of characters in this movie. There's a David. I was like, yeah. And everyone's like, oh, David, David. I'm like, hey. That's my name. So I get where you get excited because there's a Jason in a the movie. There was a David in a movie, and I was super pumped. Yeah, see? But anyway. So there's this big uh, group of other teens that are camping out at an... Well, not camping. They're, they, they're at another house there, and they're, like, you know, having parties and stuff. And then they meet Tina, and there's some uh, pot smoking and some sexual relations between young nubile teens and all this. And uh, there's some goddamn killing and stuff, you see? And then, like I said, in the synopsis, there's this, uh, what is he? Not like a doctor doctor, but like a... a psychologist, you know, psychiatrist. Psychologist type guy. Yeah, that kind of guy, you know. But he wants to exploit, exploit her. Like, what else do you need to know about the story? Well, it's kind of cool, eh? It's kind of cool that they kind of went in a little bit of a different... They're like, well, what can we do, you know? That's kind of a little different than just camping people and skinny dipping and stuff. Well, they still threw in some skinny dipping, which was nice, you know? But anyway, they, they introduced this telekinetic stuff, which was a big ripoff from Karen. But it was kind of a good idea. I think what they wanted to try to say is, hey, they, like this, this Jason character has finally met his match because she can do cool things telekinetically and, and beat him up and stuff. And there's some, some good scenes regarding that. But uh, yeah, I was watching this movie and there's some kills and everything. But I was sitting there going like, hey, this isn't very like gory and stuff, you know? And then so I sat there and I watched some uh, special features on the Blu-ray, you know. It was the old uh, director. Do you guys know who John Carl Buckler is? Buckler? Buckler? Buckler. Buckler. The guy was phenomenal. He's one of those uh, special effects makeup dudes. He did like a million things like Reanimator, Ghoulies, Troll, which he also directed, From Beyond, Ghoulies 2. 
He did the special effects uh, makeup on Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Halloween 4, Bride of Reanimator, Ghoulies 3, Freddy's Dead, The Final Night. I could go on and on and on. Goddamn been in the goddamn horror movie thing for years and awesome stuff. And you know what's unfortunate about uh, this gentleman? He unfortunately passed away in 2019 from uh, cancer, I believe. I did not know that until today, so I was very unhappy because after watching the the uh, little interview type thing with him on the, the Blu-ray, I was like, oh my God, this guy's awesome. And I bring that up because <laughs> I felt so bad for him because... Well, because he was such an awesome special effects makeup guy, and I was watching the movie, I was like, well, there wasn't really that much special effects makeup in the movie. You figure if he's a big-time special effects makeup guy, there'd be some cool stuff. Well, he explains his battle with the MPAA, gentlemen, as I think uh, both of you brought up with your other Friday the 13th, correct? And But not, not yeah. to mention the fact that if he's the director, he's not the makeup guy, right? Well, no, I know, but I mean, he'd have... He'd be like, oh, hey, well, do something like this. And I'm sure they, you know, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, if you're a director, you're, you've got an idea of what you want and stuff and uh, and what you can achieve, if especially if you're from that particular department. And he, he was never thinking he'd direct a Friday the 13th film because he was like, well, what the hell kind of goddamn series goes seven Friday the 13th? So, but he was, uh, I guess he was excited to do it and because they were doing something different with the telekinesis stuff. But what he was saying was he had so many cool ideas and bits and they record or they filmed a bunch of stuff they had to cut it all out so so the mpa would be like oh you can't have that in there and they're like oh shit so they get everything that they said they wanted out of there and then they send it back and then they'd come back with okay well that's good but but really you got to get rid of this stuff too and it's something they didn't even talk about earlier on you know it's like what ah oh. he was super disappointed with the amount of stuff they had to cut i found out i could really tell actually after after watching this movie and uh, luckily, there was a few, they were able to th show a few of the things on the old deleted scenes. And one of them was super awesome and gory. They had this head and Jason like smushed this person's head and like all this goop shot out of the mouth and he just kept smushing it. And I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. But they couldn't have it in there. It was heartbreaking. The God, the amount of stuff we watch today. Isn't it crazy the amount of stuff they had to cut back then? Friday the 13th was one of the reasons why the MPAA started cracking down so viciously on horror movies. Yeah, those jerks, eh? And Friday the 13th had this reputation of having all this gore in it, but really, a lot of the gore was, was cut out. And it yeah. only seemed like it had all this gore. And now you look at the movies today, and they're a hundred times more gory than these ones. Oh, I know. That's too bad, eh? So that was really, that was a very good... Uh chat with uh john carl there you know what i'm saying that was nice to hear so let's talk about a couple of the people that are acting in this particular movie dr cruz was played by terry kaiser it's goddamn bernie from weekend at bernie's do you know what else is pretty cool about it i clicked on him today because you know i was like oh goddamn bernie i wonder what if he's he's doing these days well guess what roll the clip we're going on now that thank you very much he is in The Mutilator Part 2, currently in post-production. So they've already filmed it, it looks like. So uh, whenever that gets released, we will see Terry Kaiser in Mutilator 2. So uh, yeah, he's in there. Oh, Kevin Spertas, funnily enough, he, he was in a movie with, what's his name earlier, uh, Kane Hodder. He was in The Hills Have Eyes Part 2 from 1984. So that was kind of cool. 
he played the main like beefy uh, handsome dude and um one girl that was in like a million things actually i said i swear i've seen her in a million things so i had to look into it uh elizabeth Catan. she was in uh Oh, God, that sounds lovely. The Exotic House of Wax. Love Street? Remember that series? Oh, Dr. Alien. Ha! That was hilarious. Oh, yeah, remember Assault of the Killer Bimbos? She was one of the Killer Bimbos. Oh, she was in Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. And then we had uh, Susan Blue, who played uh, the mom, Mrs. Shepherd. I think she was in Gem, your favorite TV series, Jay. And as well, she was in Transformers, the movie. Oh, man, she was in a ton of awesome stuff. Like Transformers, the uh, animated movie. You know what I'm saying? So she does a lot of goddamn voices. She was the voice uh, of uh, RC, Dave. Like remote-controlled car? No, the character Transformer RC. The oh, only Hank's female car? Transformer. No, that's pretty cool. Oh, my God. She did so. She was a huge voice actor. Uh, so that's kind of cool. She was in it. She was the mum. She was the mum. She, she sure had a hairdo. I'll give you that much. So anyway, it's kind of cool. There's a lot of, uh, lot of killing, not very violent or brutal. Uh, a little bit of goddamn hoots and such in this particular movie. And then um, there's a big battle between Jason and a telekinetic Tina. Who wins? Who knows? But it was really interesting because the director said he really wanted to do like a sequel to what happened to everybody after this one. Almost like it was a Friday the 13th, The New Blood Part 2 or something. He had ideas, and he and I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, last night when I, when he said that, I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. I wonder if they could do it nowadays. And unfortunately, I saw that he passed away. So I said it never got done. So it's heartbreaking. But anyway, it was I, it's an enjoyable. Like I, I was watching it, going, I mean, it's not a great movie, but it's Friday the Thirteenth, and it was great. Jason was spooky. There were some deaths. So I'd, I'd watch it again someday. I think I gave it a seven out of ten. Friday the Thirteenth, Part Six. The New Blood. Part 7, actually. And, oh, Jesus Christ. See, I get confused. This is one that I probably have seen the least out of the whole franchise. I think no, I've, exactly. Right? I think I've only seen it once. and it, Yeah, I mean, even though you've got the telekinetic girl in there, it feels like it's the least interesting. Like, yeah, it was kind of interesting, though. Like, It was different, though, which was nice, but it was still the same. It doesn't it doesn't have as many memorable moments as the other movies, so you're not thinking about it as much. Oh, and then he was after I watched that little interview, I felt a lot more for the movie because I think it could have been a bit better. It was interesting to hear him say that it wasn't exactly the movie he wanted it to be. Well, and actually the thing about this particular movie, it had a decent budget. Oh, I guess well, it wasn't actually. It was only 2.8 million, but it looked really crisp and clean. Like, it looked like a good quality movie. Yeah, it was released May 13th, 1988. To mostly negative reviews from critics, it grossed $19.1 million. So it made its money and everything, but I guess it wasn't super uh, popular. So there you go. Friday the 13th at that point was suffering from competition with Nightmare on Elm Street, and the slasher boom was starting to wind down at the end of the 80s, so it had a lot of things going against it. Jeff, did you did you watch this one? Or you watched it for sure, but what do you remember from this one? Yeah, I watched it semi-recently when I watched them all in order. I don't remember much. I don't think I didn't like it or anything like that. I seem to remember that there was a lot of conflict between the director and the producers, and even involving the ending, which the ending is almost terrible. 
don't want to get into it because of spoilers. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. No, that it, was terrible. It was terrible. I do have to say the ending wasn't very good. I think the director wanted to do something a lot better, and he was outvoted by the money people. Have you guys watched the documentaries? Did you watch the whole... I haven't watched them. I have... My name is Jason. His name that. was Jason. I don't... I don't... Like, I'm I'm waiting to buy that Blu-ray uh, Crystal Lake Memories, but you can buy it with Crystal Lake Memories and Never Sleep Again. But it's like 60 bucks nowadays, and I'm like, I'm not paying that much. Can't I just watch it on Shudder? Yes. See, but that's the thing. I want to own... Like, what's the point of owning it then? <laughs> I'm such a loser. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to spend... Eventually, I'm going to spend 40 bucks on it when I'm already spending like six bucks a month that I can go and watch at any time on Shudder. God, I'm an idiot. Anywho. I was concerned about the fact that it's such a long documentary, but once you sit down and watch it, you don't have to watch it all at once. You can just watch movie by movie. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's amazing. And as yeah. a segue into our feature review... Hold on, I'm not done with mine. But I on. know, but it's hosted by someone who plays a pretty significant role in part four. Well, I do have to tell you something. Jeff, one of the, huh? one of the characters, there's a character in there, and the actress, get this, her name's Heidi Kozak. Guess what movies she's been in? Slumber Society. Party Massacre 2. And Slumber Party Massacre 2. How did you guess that? She was in society too. Yeah, she was Shauna in society, and she was Sally Burns in Slumber Party Massacre too. So this chick should yeah. be one of your favorite actresses. I think she I was the call pimple popping girl in that movie. That's horrible, but awesome. And now watch out for our feature presentation. All right, yes, I was hinting that the host of Crystal Lake Memories had a very important role in. Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and that would be one, Corey Feldman. He's in that? In the final chapter? What movie did you just watch? (laughs) What's interesting, though, is that Corey Feldman has totally embraced the fact that he was in a Friday the 13th movie. He obviously was involved in the documentaries and stuff like that, and he almost came back for Friday the 13th Part 5. He came back for a very small intro sequence, but he was busy filming Lost Boys or Gremlins or something after that, I forget. There was another actor in the final chapter who, even though he's been interviewed as saying he really appreciated being in the movie, he's had nothing to do with the franchise since. Oh. But was definitely one of the most memorable characters in the final chapter, and that would be Crispin Glover. But I get ahead of myself. Let's go into a synopsis of Friday the 13th, Part 4, the final chapter. Friday the 13th, the final chapter, a synopsis by Letterboxd. Jason's back, and this is the one you've been screaming for. After the Crystal Lake massacres, Jason is pronounced dead and taken to the hospital morgue, where he is mysteriously revived, allowing his diabolical killing spree to continue at the camp where the gruesome slaughtering began. But this time, In addition to terrified teenagers, he meets a young boy named Tommy, who has a special talent for horror masks and makeup, leading up to a horrifying, bloody battle. That's right, as Jason finally met his match. My guess is no, because there's been multiple Jasons after this. Oh, but but maybe you would be wrong. Am I wrong? I don't know. Let's get into it. (laughs) 
right? I want to open with a trivia question for you guys. The character ah, of sick. the character of Tommy Jarvis was yes. named after who? Jarvis. Uh some sort of dog. Okay, forget about the Jarvis part. Tommy. Oh, uh Tommy uh Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> right? No. Grave rubber, any guesses? No. Oh, you guys. The character of Tommy was named after Tom Savini. Oh, attaboy, Tom really? Savini. Yes, who was the major creative force behind the scenes that made people quite disturbed in the original Friday the 13th. He came uh, back finally to be part of Friday the 13th one? Part 4. All right on. You know what his reason for coming back to the franchise was? He had some unfinished business. Kind of. Well, I told you how... When he didn't do the Friday the 13th Part 2 job, it was because he didn't think Jason should have been in the been a character at all because he was thought he was just a dream sequence. Well, yeah. he came back when he found out he had the chance to kill him off for good. <laughs> just like how Jamie Lee Curtis came back for Halloween H2O, right? Kind of, yes. Well, yeah, exactly like that. Except she was the star and not a makeup person, but... Um, Pretty close, though. You know. Kind of awkward, though, that Tom Savini was not the first choice to be the makeup guy on Friday the what? 13th Part 4. Well, that's awkward. There was a guy named Greg Canham that was hired first. He found it too restrictive. He was not able to do what he wanted to do, so he quit after a little bit. They had been shooting for about a week at that point, and... Tom Savini came in, and we'll get into some of his contributions to this movie in a little bit, but let's talk first about what a lot of these early Friday the 13th movies were doing, which was giving the flashbacks to the previous movies and setting up the continuity between them. It was funny because it starts with them sitting around the campfire from part two, and then it shows the original movie and some of part three and back to two and back and it, it's like a greatest hits of all the scary gory scenes of the first three movies yeah listen, i i enjoy that because jumping into number four here i hadn't seen number one and two in about three years so it's nice to have a little reminder right and the and wife appreciated that because she watched this one with me we talked about the fact that Friday the 13th actually tried to keep the continuity going. Well, have you guys ever paid attention to the time elapsed between parts 2, 3, and 4? Kind of. Because yeah. think about it. So the at the end of number 2, well, the beginning of number 3 starts with the flashback of number 2. And it's the same day that yeah. Jason shows up and encounters the convenience store owners. And then the events of Friday the 13th part 3 take place over a couple of days. And then the way number four starts, after the flashback sequence, we're brought back to where Jason has been, where they pick him up at the barn and they take him to the hospital. So the amount of time that's elapsed since part two to part four is only a matter of like less than a week. It's like two, three, four days maybe, right? Which is going to come into a question that comes up later when we talk about the character of Rob the Jason Hunter who was out avenging the murder of his sister oh yeah, that's right yeah. from the second movie but really that murder only happened about four days ago so in four days he's had time to digest the murder of his sister and start tracking jason through the woods it's a pretty accelerated timeline for a revenge plot let's put it that way 
Do you know what really bugged me? It really bugged me how it made like girls look at the beginning of this. Because that one dude at the at the morgue, he was the biggest piece of trash I've ever seen. And then as if like any girl in their right mind would, you know, want to get frisky with that piece of trash. And then she's all like, yeah, let's get frisky. And then she was saved because of Jason's dead uh, corpsey hand. Thank God. But you know what I'm saying? I'm like, come on. I'm that like, leads into one of the funniest quote sequences that I've seen after they get scared. Like three different lines. It was so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh like, I did laugh. Jesus, Christ, Jesus Christmas shit. <laughs> or something like that. It was so funny. Was oh, awesome. my God. Yeah, it was good. I had to rewind it a couple times and watch it again, that line. Yeah. So Bruce Mailer played the coroner there. He actually went on to play a recurring role in the Police Academy series. Get out of town. He looked kind of familiar. Yeah, he's not one of the main Police Academy guys, but he's in there. Police Academy, one, two, three, and six. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh my God, he was in Scary Movie too. So Jason escapes from the hospital. That whole hospital scene seemed to go on for quite a while. Like we had that extended intro, then the extended hospital scene. It was reminding me a lot of Halloween 2, ironically, since that's the last mini-review I just did. Spending so much time in a, in a very deserted hospital was very Halloween 2-ish. I was glad when, when that scene was over. I wasn't a big fan of that. One of the weird connections to number 6 is that the guy is watching a provocative lady doing calisthenics on the TV. And it turns out that the lady he's watching ends up being in the sixth movie. Really? And her name, I think Darcy DeMoss was her name, so she ended up being a number six. As who? As Nikki. Oh, really? A, a small part, not like a big part. I would never have thought that that program would have any sort of lasting impact on the franchise, but I guess it sort of did. All right, so as is often the case with the Friday the 13th movie, we now cut to the arrival of a bunch of kids, and they're arriving to a house that's across the way from... The Jarvis residence, where Mrs. Jarvis, who is recently divorced, lives with her daughter Trish and her son Tommy Jarvis, played by Corey Feldman. Trish is played by Kimberly Beck. So just to slide back to the video game again, <laughs> this would be the Jarvis house map. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, you know what I forgot to mention about part two that ended up in the game that's very significant? What? I don't know. Jason Shack. Jason Shack plays a prominent role in part two, and boy, does it play a prominent role in the video game as well. Just wanted to throw that in. But yes, the Jarvis residence and the guest house across the way. You guys know that 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 blue house was built expressly for the filming of this movie, right? The Jarvis residence itself, though, is a real house and still exists, at least as recently as the special features. But the house for all the kids does not exist anymore. But it's quite a interesting looking house, and they did a great job of recreating that in the game too. And there was there was one scene when they're walking between one, going from one to the other, and you can see where the car is parked down there, and that's where the car is in the video game. It's like I'm totally geeking out video game style on this thing. <laughs> and the basement was just like it. The basement, yeah. 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 So yes, the carload of Randy teens. I talked about Crispin Glover before. Did he or did he not steal the show here as far as those kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, how about that dance that Crispin Glover was doing, eh? That was pretty cool. Apparently he'd go to like, you know, clubs down, uh, you know, because he was a young guy. He'd go down to clubs and that's that's how he'd dance, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I haven't heard that part. What I, what I did hear was that, <laughs> that he was dancing to a different song. So if, they were saying maybe ACDC or something. Yeah, if you played if you played the ACDC song over what he was doing, it made a lot more sense. But it's it's a unique dance for sure. And they run into perhaps one of the most memorable duos in Friday the Thirteenth history. Oh yeah, that, that, those twins, right? That would yeah, you to? the twins, Tina and Terry, played by real life twins Camilla and I'm... Carrie Moore. Yeah, and I do believe that they were the inspiration for the character in the game. Oh, crap, what was her name? Tiffany, yeah. I think that's oh, the she... case. One thing that I liked about this movie, there was a lot of people flying out of windows in slow motion. And they were awesome scenes, I thought. And doesn't something like that happen in that movie uh, that plays homage to all the Friday the 13th, uh, The Final Girls? Is there some slow motion people flying out of windows in that? That'd be hard to say that was a direct influence on the final girls well, but, for that scene. You know, it's but... bizarre, though. But, like, this movie, I, I like, I noticed it in this one, and I thought it was awesome. That was my, my big takeaway from this movie, was people flying out of windows in slow motion. Well, that was a big takeaway. So let's get to some of the technical aspects, right? Sure. Part four was directed by Joseph Zito, yes. who had previously directed The Prowler, which oh. also had Tom Savini as the makeup guy. And The Prowler is what got the attention of the producers of Friday the 13th. So they weren't sure they were going to make part four until they saw what part three would do. And so when they saw that part three was making tons and tons of money, they said, yeah, we're going to do part four. So they called Joseph Zito. They really had it in their minds that, that this was going to be the last movie. They wanted to kill off Jason you get the sense that Paramount was kind of embarrassed by the fact that they were the ones distributing this movie franchise. It wasn't something they were proud of, and so they wanted to end it. Oh. It was written by Barney Cohen and Bruce Hidemi Sakao, along with Zito and the, and the rest of the producers. They kind of plotted out the way that they wanted it to happen. Cohen was brought in because of his ability to write kids, and so he wanted to write these kids as being very real. He has a quote in this book saying that if anybody thought that the characters were, lacked depth or they weren't very realistic, it wasn't his fault. It was the actors. They weren't able to pull it off. <laughs> Good grief. You could see that there was a lot of potential for drama here between these kids, and I didn't remember them being so mean to each other. So that was probably an example of how he was trying to add something to the characters of these kids, but... You know, th these movies do follow a very repeatable pattern, and you do spend about an hour getting to know these kids and watching them act like jackasses sometimes and skinny dip a little bit and party a little bit and steal each other's girlfriends a little bit. Yeah, that was terrible. Oh, my God. Speaking of skinny dipping, you see that scene where they were skinny dipping and the one dude jumps on the rope when he was naked? And he, oh god it looks like he friggin burns his ass on the dirt before he goes into the water did anybody notice that i was like oh dude your ass but anyway he played it well i, I swear he did 
it didn't look like he hit the water. It looked like he hit the ground first. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. I guess I'll have to but, go back and check that. But no, I didn't just keep notice your eyes. Different. Just keep your eyes on his ass, his, his naked ass when it goes into the... Because it looks like it just smokes the ground right before. Hey, and what's with that goddamn hitchhiking chick, eh? Did it say something about Canada on there? What it did. did. It say? It did. did it it say, said Jason the Terrible? It said Canada and love. She, she wanted yeah. to have a ride to Canada and love. Oh, gross. And I got to tell yeah. you, I got to tell you, out of all the all the death scenes in the Friday the 13th franchise. <laughs> it made me not want to eat another banana in my life. I really. think that that has got to be the worst one. <laughs> gross. The worst one out of the entire franchise. Not just from the the perspective of it was a relatively needless one for, for Jason to have to even bother with. <laughs> <laughs> or for the movie for that matter <laughs> like what the hell yeah is that? the damn banana too you know yeah the instructions to joseph zito was that there should be a gory exciting kill every seven to eight minutes oh you don't say and you so that's say. pretty much what that was it's like well we haven't had a kill for about seven or eight minutes let's let's figure something let's out throw somebody in there <laughs> <laughs> oh god do you know what's hilarious you know like when that little cory feldman dude uh tommy tommy J, we'll call him was sitting there and then he looks across the window and they're you know it's like when you're a young guy you always go oh man there's a there's a, a naked gal across the window that never happened in real life by the way but, yeah i was gonna but, say um, i don't think i remember <laughs> always saying that but just how he was like so pumped and excited and kicking his legs and so i said oh poor funny little I thought that was cute, how yeah. excited he was to potentially see a hoot in real life, you know what I'm saying? Well, and then the next day, he was right there when they were skinny dipping. Yeah, good grief, eh? And his sister pulled him away. That's too bad. What yeah. else? What else jumped off the page at you in this particular movie? Who the hell played Jason? Okay, so this is an unfortunate point. I don't know if you guys know this, but... I don't know. Tell me. They hired a guy named Ted White. He was a hardcore stunt guy. Ted White, I believe, died two or three days ago. Oh, what's with that, man? Yes, Ted White, whose real name was Alex Bayuth, died on October 14th, 2022. So as of the recording of this episode, that was three days ago. Oh, man. That's unfortunate. Jason, Ted White, uncredited? Why was he uncredited? I don't know if it was because he was a stuntman or what, but he was not credited in the movie. 96 years old he was. Very sorry to hear that, for sure. And uh, yeah. it just happens to line up with this episode, so that's a little bit cosmic. Um, what else jumped off the page there, Jeff? Anything? Well, it's kind of like the same script over and over where <laughs> he comes back to life, there's a huge long sequence of get to know people who then get attacked. Then there's the ending sequence. Like there's not a lot of new stuff there. But I think with this one, it's the ending sequence is, is good. Like it's a lot yeah. better than, than other ones, in, I think, if I can remember them all. It's pretty interesting. Like, well, as I was watching it, I was like, I was going, ooh, it seems to me they were potentially going to go in a really different direction with the franchise after this one apparently joseph zito was the guy that added the scenes that that you're talking about you know like we've yeah. already talked about tommy jarvis showing up in part six 
So at the end of part four, there's some questions as to just how traumatized he is by everything that happens in this movie. Uh That was all Joseph Zito's idea to put those scenes in there just to give them kind of something to work with if they ever wanted to make a fifth movie. Because the producers were still very adamant that they wanted to end the the series with this movie. And I got to say, during that, that last sequence, there's a special effect that... It's hard to forget once you've seen it, thanks to uh, Tom Savine. Is that the one with the old uh, machete in a face? Yes. Do you know what's really cool about that? Is that in Friday the 13th 7, he gets demasked, and he's got a huge scar gash where that happened. I thought that was pretty cool. Because every time he's demasked, he looks a little different. That's funny, because in number 6, I don't think he's ever unmasked. Did he never get unmasked in number six? I don't think so. You saw him at the very beginning covered in maggots and stuff, but I don't think you ever saw him without his mask on. All right. Interesting. Because Corey Feldman's character is a bit inventive and very much a horror fan and special effects guy, which was also a, a nod to Tom Savini. In fact, Tom Savini made all of the monster masks and stuff in Tommy Jarvis's room. But they originally wanted to kill Jason with a microwave-type weapon that would melt his face off. But I think the producers looked at it and said, well, you know, shooting someone with a a microwave weapon is not really the Friday the 13th way. So they decided not to do that. A couple of other things about the supporting cast, I guess, before we get into maybe the rating segments. But Rob the Jason Hunter, I already talked about the continuity and how he's essentially avenging his sister's death that happened about four days ago in the movie timeline. He's got one of the most recognizable lines that shows up in the game, and I'd forgotten it was him, but do you know what I'm talking about? I sure do. He's killing me! (laughs) You know, I don't know if I would say that in that situation. I guess it's a true statement. Like, how many people would say that when they're getting attacked? He's killing me! Maybe me, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, don't know. You never know, I guess, right? And one one other note I have here was that there's another skinny dipping scene where Judy Aronson's character swims out to a dinghy where something bad happens to her there. And oh, oh my God, yeah, I gotta say, this kind of bugged me. Somebody gets killed in a dinghy, but then later on, get this, the dinghy has not sunk and he clearly put a spear through the dinghy into said person's body. So why hasn't it sunk? Well, maybe the person's body is plugging the hole. I don't know. No, it's a, know it's a good that, question. It's, it's yeah. not a question that I've heard or thought of myself, but that's a good question. Yes. The bigger concern here was that the actress almost got hypothermia. And oh. I can't remember where I heard the story. It was, it was probably on the Crystal Lake Memories documentary. But... This is where Joseph Zito didn't come across looking too good. He kept her in the water for a long time. It was freezing to the point where Ted White basically said, okay, look, if you don't get her out of the water and get her warmed up, I quit. Oh, there you go. Sweet. And so Ted White came to her rescue. But a lot of these Crystal Lake water scenes are ridiculously cold. Even though this was filmed in California, it was still wintertime. Just another example of... Often how hazardous it is to make movies, and especially violent ones like this. Making movies is a dangerous game. 
Speaking of games, just to call back to the game one last time before you get to the ratings thing. You know when Jason's like attacking people and that <laughs> certain song is playing? The super orchestral background? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in the game. So when Jason's attacking you in the game, you hear that music. And it's just, it's so well done. Like, it's just fun. Yeah. That was something else I wanted to bring up. Of course, Friday the 13th fans are familiar with Harry Manfredini as the composer for the franchise. Thing is, by the time he got to the fourth movie, he had done so much music that the producers basically said, well, you know, this time we're not going to pay you for any music. We're just going to use all your old music and stitch it together. And so that's what they basically did. He did a little bit of new stuff for the first reel and for the last reel, but everything else was pieced together from existing music that he made for the first three movies. There you go. Hey, did we talk about the movie enough? Should we give some reviews? Or not reviews, but grades and things? Let's do it. Okay. Grave Robber Jeff, how scared were you? Once again, for the 80s fair, I would suggest watching it in the dark, super loud. And you can probably get up to a 6 or a 7 with scariness. There's a lot of tension, eh? The whole movie is about bait and switch with, you know, someone's being watched. Is it a hitchhiker? Is it a cat? Is it Jason? Oh, it's Jason. It does a pretty masterful job of keeping you on the edge of your seat the whole time. I wish I would have saw them in the theater. It would have been something. Did you see any of them in the theaters? Just Freddy versus Jason. Maybe Jason X. I saw Jason X and Freddy versus Jason and then the new Friday the 13th. But I was too young for Jason Goes to Hell. Ah, <sighs> Jason Goes to Hell. Jason, what would you think about scariness? Yeah, that's one thing that you mentioned already, Grave Robber, was that the early movies you didn't really see Jason much. And that was pretty effective. In fact, I think the very first time you see him in this one, like his mask, is all the way at the shower scene. You never know where he is. That's what's meant to be scary. I mean, by the time you've watched this for three, four, five, ten times, you know where he is all the time. You know the sequence that's going to happen, and it's not scary anymore because you know what's going to happen. For me, it was it was dropping down more like to a four or a five, but just because uh, just because I'm so familiar with it. Yeah, it's tricky to think of it as someone who hasn't seen it before as well as being in a different timeline but i stand by the fact that if you watch it in the dark with super loud sound good luck not jumping at spots all right slice and dice and dave how about the gore meter uh gore let's get to the gore let's see here what happened one gory scene involving jason and a machete <laughs> who'd have thunk oh you know what i forgot to say Ah, oh, that's too bad. It, about my number seven. Can I say it quickly? Yes. Do you know what's cool about the number seven? You know, um, what's your favorite part of Jason X? Oh, yeah. Is there a sleeping bag kill in there by any chance? You're goddamn right there's a sleeping bag kill. So there's a sleeping bag kill in number seven, which was pretty cool. I said, wait a second. Is that where it came from? And it's cool because they talked about it later because it was Kane Hodder and he was... It was just like he was trying to smack this bag filled with other bags of blood in there against a tree that had razor blades on it. <laughs> and he was getting so pissed off and it was slipping out of his hands. And Anyway, they ended up just having one, one, one good smoke against the tree. But I thought that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that uh, particular death. Okay, well, gory rating here for uh, Friday the 13th Part 4. I... Yeah, was there anything else like super gory? No, just kind of some knives... 
stabbing here and there, uh, him smushing someone's head a little bit. Nothing like super gory. I'd say maybe like a five out of ten, just because you know it's not like super gory, but it's violent. Well, you, I think you're forgetting the first kill of the movie. Oh, was that the was the banana one? That was gross. No, you got to go even further back than that. Back to the hospital. Ah, uh, let me think what happens. Gory. There's a hacksaw. Oh, that was pretty gross. Yeah. And there's was, a like, head twist gory. all the way around. Oh, that was kind of cool. It wasn't super it's, gory though. It's it's probably the goriest of them of them all. Oh, that's what I'm saying. It's like a 5 out of 10. That's pretty gory. It's not like 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 it's not like a friggin' You know, a head exploding or something, you know, like Game of Death or something. Way to reference a very vague... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like 5 out of 10. I think I stand by my gore rating, 5 out of 10. I'm going to come in with a 4 or 5 out of 10 as well, even taking those scenes into account. They're gory, but it's not anything compared to movies from today. But And they were also, you could also tell they were cut way down. So Yeah, you got that right. I have to disagree with you a bit that Jason Machete thing is uh, gross. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> gross. Like, I don't know yeah. how you guys are downplaying that. Holy crap. <laughs> well, I guess the yeah, reason I'm downplaying it is because it looks very prosthetic. A fake looking or not, I'll come in with a six. Just well, because of that one scene. Because I was like watching it and I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. It, it was gross. Okay, little instantaneous pop quiz. Do you guys have an opinion on what the grossest kill in the Friday the 13th franchise is? Oh, you know what? When I like, when the dude, I can't remember which one it was, but when the dude's like walking around on his hands, and then he comes in and just fucking machetes him right in the crotch. <laughs> like, it wasn't the grossest, but it was like the most. One, <laughs> like, the ah! Most... All you right, so that? that's your most memorable from, yeah, from part I think three? So. Yeah, 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 that was pretty sweet. Or like when the chick gets her face like frozen in Jason X and then smashes it, that was pretty sick. That's a famous that's one too. Yeah. I can only remember the last two movies I watched. I can't remember. <laughs> that, <you> know? <laughs> okay, well, out of those ones that you remember, what's your... The machete to the face. I'm going to keep coming back to that just because I think they did a good job with it. Okay, well, my thought of what the grossest Friday the 13th kill is, you have to go to Friday the 13th, part 9, Jason goes to hell. Uh-huh. Something to do with a heart? No, there is okay. a tent scene. There's a scene in the tent where two people are having relations, and the girl basically gets ripped in half by the machete. That's about as gory as you get. And so when people talk about does Jason Go to Hell have any redeeming qualities as far as being part of the Friday the 13th franchise? I always say, well, it's got the goriest franchise kill in it. That's got to count for something. Yeah, that's a good point. That was a weird movie, that Jason. Oh, God, on. yes. All right, we're done gore. Let's talk about the Disturbometer, Grave Robber Jeff. Well, other than the uh, one machete to the face death, it's a pretty standard 80s slasher movie. So I wouldn't go above and beyond any more disturbing. So moderately disturbing. I'm going to go moderate to severe because of the banana. Oh, God. They're throwing uh, a kid in this particular movie. That's kind of disturbing. Huh? And then what, kind of what he looked like at the end. I was like, ah! <laughs> That's pretty disturbing. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to say moderately disturbing. 
What about, he's killing me. That's disturbing. I guess a little. Okay, guys, you lobbied for this one. The hilarity meter. Let's see, what was hilarious about there? I like, like I said, I brought it up earlier when uh, he was watching that gal unclothe in front of the window and he's getting all super excited and kicking his legs. I was like, you little rascal. I laughed at that. When the guy uh, swung and burnt his ass on the ground, I swear, you got to watch that. I laughed at that. But, but this wasn't stuff that was necessarily supposed to be hilarious. I just found it kind of comical. So I'd say it's kind of low. I'd say like a, not very funny, like a two and a half out of ten, three out of ten maybe. I'll see your three and I'll raise you two just for Crispin Glover alone. Oh yeah, and his dance, yeah, that was good. So I see there was a little bit of stuff. You can start to see how the comedy was starting to filter in a little bit. Because I think part five had way more and then part six was straight up almost horror comedy when you think about it. I got to rewatch part six again. Yes, Grave Rubber. Hilarity. I don't remember laughing much, so I'll stay with the two. Oh, you guys have no sense of humor. All right, let's talk about, what is it, hoots and such? Goddamn hoots and such, everybody. Well, geez, there's a lot of hoots. Uh, There's a little bit of such. Nothing like super offensive. I like to say if it's offensive, hoots and such. Because, you know, like a naked body isn't offensive. I guess there's some relations of the sexual kind so there's a little bit of that and then there's just a little bit of you know hey we're going skinny dipping business oh and there's that video that they're watching that's like tons of hoots and such and that jesus christ and it's supposed to be like an old video eh? it's a real to real film so yeah yeah so that's pretty cool probably from the 30s or something so, so lots of ho- i'd say uh highly hoot and suched or how do we how do we rate it i'd it's say a, like a good eight out of ten I still don't want to give numbers to it, but yeah, there's like I said earlier, there's a lot in this one. There was more than I remember. It's up there for the franchise, if if not the most, then the second most. Well, there's quite a contrast with six, which had none, so there you go. All right, does that bring us to our final ratings? I can't remember. We've got so many ratings now, it's hard to keep track. I think so, right? Oh, All right, it's ratings. our final ratings, gentlemen. Who wants to go first? Go take it away, Jeffrey the Terrible. Great, Robin Jeff. Let's see, final thoughts for this one. I guess when you take into account that they were thinking of ending things with this one, with the name being the final chapter and whatnot, did they do justice in the end with everything? And I, I kind of lean towards the fence of, of yes, they did. Granted, most of the movie was just kind of a repeat of previous movies. The ending sequence, I think, was giving it justice, if, if that makes sense. And so, as all the other ones before it, it was just entertaining for, for all the reasons why people like these movies in the first place. The Jarvis family, I thought, like even the mom, who we didn't talk about much because she kind of disappears and no one really knows what happens to her, which is kind of weird. But you kind of get to know the Jarvis family and the way that they contributed to the conclusion of it all, I thought was pretty well done. And so, final ratings, well, I think because of because I did like the ending sequence so much, I'll probably come up with an 8.3 out of 10. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty high, pal. Which is a bit higher than uh, number 6, even though I did like number 6 a lot. I don't remember you like, rating any movie higher than an 8. Yeah, what the hell, Jim? Well, these, these are classics, and unfortunately they're drilled into my brain, and I really like them. 
Did you say unfortunately? So it's like Nothing they're very biased reviews. They're oh. drilled into your brain like a machete to the face? Is that what you're saying? That is one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> and so there you go. All right. Well, well I like the enthusiasm. 8.3 from Grave Robber Jeff. Oh, and actually that scene did make it into the video game as well. I wonder how many oh, people yeah, are still playing that. Anyways, it wasn't as impressive in the game because unless... Can you zoom up during that part? Like when Jason gets dead? No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's just, just the way the face made the expressions as it was going down. God damn, that's one of the classicest things I've ever seen. Like just like his eyeballs were like blinking and stuff. And like his mouth was moving around, which apparently was a puppet or whatever, but still it was so... Anyways, I'll talk about that till the cows come home. On to the next guy. All right, thank you, Grave Robber. Slice and Dice and Dave, your final rating. Yeah, do you know what's... Like, I'm sitting here going... Like, I've seen this one numerous times now. And it's still pretty... Like, every time I watch it, it's still pretty good, right? I'm trying to think, like, what my favorite Friday the 13th is. Is it this one? Anyway, what I'm trying to say is I'm going to give it a high ranking... Because it may be my favorite Friday the 13th. And to not have a Friday the 13th rated super high doesn't make any sense to me. So i got to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Well, I like the justification. It's well thought out. Thank you, Slicen. It is. That's the thing. Like, which Friday the 13th would I give higher than 8.5? I don't know. How can I not have a Friday the 13th rate about 8.5? So it's kind of like I'm rating the whole series on this one an 8.5. I don't know. It's weird, but 8.5. All right. Well, I didn't expect to come in the lowest of the three of us. Let's put it that way. You suck, man. I was trying to think of why a lot of people count this one as their favorite. And like you, Slicen, I I don't know which one is my favorite. I, I'm pretty forgiving of these movies, so even the ones that people universally dislike i still like them i think yeah. the only one that i really agree should be on the bottom is jason goes to hell super gory death scene notwithstanding but oh. it really is such a departure that it's almost not a friday the 13th movie at all but let's not talk about that one i can look at all of the rest of them and be very entertained while watching them so I think what it comes down to, why people really like part four, it really is the last time that he was a realistic character. Ah, good point, yep. Because after that, we'll, we'll skip over five for now, but after that, he's all zombified Frankenstein Jason. He's different, but the same. <laughs> he's just as invulnerable, it seems. But I think this is where the series definitely took a bit of a turn. Good on the producers for at least, you know, even though it wasn't the final chapter like they thought it was going to be, at least they made it mean something. And it was the first appearance of Tommy Jarvis, who obviously became quite important to the franchise. It was released on Friday, April 13th, 1984, and made $32.8 million. It was just shy of the amount that Part 3 made. And so six months after that, they were starting to film Part 5. So it didn't even last six months, this end of the franchise. You know, that's how much money it was making and how many people were still going to watch it. But a lot of people went to went to watch number four because they figured it was the end and that was it and they were curious. And then they got 
kind of slapped in the face by number five, which is why people don't like that one so much. But anyway, all that said, it's got everything that a Friday the 13th should have. Probably does it better than the first three do. Like the first three were kind of finding their feet and finally hitting that formula that became so famous with the hockey mask and all the skinny dipping and all of that stuff. I don't think I've got it in me to rate any of them like a 9 or a 10. Like, they're not meant to be that good. They're meant to be formulaic and, you know, guilty pleasure type horror movies. And that's what they do really well. So I'm still rating this probably probably what I would give the highest of the franchise, and that would be an 8 out of 10. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. I think so. I mean, you're not yeah. you're not going to accuse any of the Friday the Thirteenth of being high art or like thought provoking. I, I, I just find it weird. I just find I, like when I was rating it, I was like, "That's the highest I can give a Friday the Thirteenth film is an eight and a half out of ten, which is kind of sad. There's no one that is better than an eight and a half out of ten. Okay, fellas, that was lovely. Go ahead, Jay, finish us off. Yes, let's wrap this one up, because this brings us to the end of another episode, our second consecutive mini-franchise review episode, and I don't know. There's just something about saying, hey, let's watch a couple Friday the 13th that just sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was it was the right thing to do, I think. You can't go wrong doing that. Anyway. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please drop us a line at watchouthorror at gmail.com or visit us at our website, www.watchouthorror.com. There you can find links to all of our episodes at all the places that you enjoy listening to podcasts, as well as links to all of our social media platforms. Thank you very much again for following along with us. We really appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you. And so, until next time. And there will be a next time. Be safe, treat each other well, and go watch some horrors. Thank you for listening to Watch Out. The opinions you've just heard have been made by three guys from Canada. Please keep this in mind and enjoy responsibly.